Steve, good morning. You can grab your Bibles. We're going to spend a little time in Hosea this morning. It'll take you a little while to get there. That's why I mentioned it right away. No, it probably won't. It's right after Daniel, major prophets, and then, then uh, Hosea. I'm not going to do too much review this morning, but if you remember, we were in Amos last time. We're flying over the Old Testament, and we looked at Amos, the prophet. And uh, remember, these prophets are they're all lumped together kind of in that latter part of the Old Testament, but the, most of the prophets took place during the kingdom, the divided kingdom. And uh, many of them did anyway, and we read about those in First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles. So during that time, much of that time, there was there was the prophets on the scene. So the next one in our timeline is is going to be Hosea. Um, let's would you pray with me as we spend a little time in Hosea this morning, Father? Thank you for the opportunity to. Come together and worship this morning. Thank you for, even as we sing together, the, the sound rises to you, God. It's for you, it's toward you, and let it bless us even as we, we turn our eyes to you. Thank you for your word. It's exciting to come and open your word. Thank you for Hosea. We're very removed from him and his situation, and yet... He very was very real, walked the earth just like we did and we do, and um, had a message that we can learn from. Thank you for his life sacrifice. Pray that you would reach out to us now in Jesus' name, amen. As the prophet goes personally, not a lot is known about Hosea. He was probably from that northern kingdom. Israel, remember we've got Israel and we've got Judah still on the scene. And you can see in the first verse some of the kings mentioned there. That's how we find a date for, for the prophecy. Verse 1, um, you see that the 750 is the date we're going to give for Hosea. Close to Amos, only about 10 years after the beginning of Amos's ministry, and only about 10 years later, Isaiah the prophet began his ministry. So most likely these guys knew of each other if they didn't know each other, and they brought supporting messages to Israel, the, uh, the northern nation. Israel was not a pleasant place to be if you're a God-fearer at this time. There's spiritual and moral depravity on a pretty great level. They have decayed to the point of being like those nations that Joshua was to drive out of the land. They are now one of those nations, if you will. Hosea comes and he brings a message of God. There's two basic parts to the book, and you could break it down further, of course, but we're going to go with these two basic parts. And there's the, the first three chapters, you could label the unfaithful wife, and the latter uh, 4 through 14, you could label the unfaithful people. This prophet had a unique calling. We've talked about God's prophets foretelling, that is, revealing future events, and forth speaking or foretelling, forth telling, that's speaking God's message in powerful ways. Sometimes there is also demonstration by the prophet's way of living. Their lifestyle paints a picture illustrating God's message. 
In this story, if you look at it from Hosea's perspective, it's a heart-wrenching story. He sacrifices greatly in obedience to the Lord to illustrate Israel's problem, perhaps to reach a few of them. Look at the first couple of verses there. Verse 2, I should say, verse 2 of chapter 1 says, When the Lord first spoke to Hosea, he said this to him, Go and marry a promiscuous wife and have children of promiscuity, for the land is committing blatant acts of promiscuity by abandoning the Lord. That was the command to Hosea. And he obeyed. According to this reading, it's not necessary that his wife was a prostitute or an adulteress, but he had that to look forward to. Hosea would experience some of the pain, actually, the grief and the suffering that God had experienced as his people turned away from him. I think maybe Hosea knew God in a special way because of of the fellowship of that suffering. Remember, Paul talks about the fellowship of suffering. Why did, he, why did God command him to do this? Look at verse 2 there again. Because Israel commits, I don't know how your translation says it, but flagrant harlotry is one way of saying it, forsaking the Lord. So just as Gomer, that's the wife that Hosea took, would forsake, would renege on the marriage covenant, Israel had forsaken their covenant with God. Chapter, or verse 3 of chapter 1, Hosea and Gomer have a son. They name their son Jezreel. It means God scatters or God sows. This was the firstborn son. The strategy of Assyria was to swoop in and take the people out of the land, scatter them into other nations, mix them and weaken them, weaken their nationality. That was the way they conquered And God would break Israel by scattering them through this nation of Assyria in only a few decades. Gomer gave birth again to a second child, presumably Hosea's daughter. Verse 6, her name is Lorohama, which means no compassion, no love. By the the pictures pointing here in, in the name of this girl, the time for the nation as a whole, for Israel as a whole, for repentance it was pretty much over. Hosea lived and preached and prophesied right up until the time, 722, when Assyria finally did sweep in and take them out of the land. He, he was probably part of that in some way. But is God's message still going out to individuals in the land? Turn from your idolatry, from your spiritual adultery. Turn back to your God. A third time, Gomer conceived and gave birth to another son. We we assume this is Hosea's child, knowing this woman. We don't know for sure. Uh, Verse 9, the son's name is Lo-Ami, meaning not mine or not my people. The picture, again, is painted. God is distancing himself from his people, Israel. Now, we've been following Israel for quite some time, haven't we? Prophet after prophet, discipline after discipline, but there's an end. There's an end to that, and God says judgment has come. And he is about to scatter them from their precious land. But it's interesting, as we read through this book, there's an overtone communicating that he still wants them. He still wants them. The separation will not be final. Look at verse 10 of chapter 1, the latter part of verse 10 
where it is said of them, you are not my people, it will be said of them, you are the sons of the living God. And then verse 1 of chapter 2, say to your brothers, Ami, and to your, to your sister, Ruhamah. You notice those words? That's the reversal of those latter two children. Their names meant unloved, but instead of that, it'll be loved. And instead of not my people, it'll be my people. Relationship with his people Israel then will be renewed. That's how I see it. There's different ways to take these sorts of verses, of course. I, I see it as a future time that Israel will relate to their God as a whole, as a, as an, in a literal sense, as a nation. Chapter 2 continues a pretty, pretty drastic exhortation toward Israel who's compared to this harlot and has sought other lo lovers. But God, her true husband, here again is that picture of him wanting her, wanting them. He will take drastic measures to teach her and to win her back. He will discipline her because he loves her. You, you see metaphor that's mixed with literal wording here in this chapter and, and throughout the book. God's commitment to Israel, I think, is pretty remarkable. Pretty, pretty remarkable. Look at chapter 2, verses 19 and 20. 2, 19 and 20. God, I will take you, he says, to be my wife forever. I will take you to be my wife in righteousness, justice, love, and compassion. Verse 20, I will take you to be my wife in faithfulness, and you will know Yahweh. It continues actually from there. We, we're, we don't, we're not going to read it all, but look at the last half of verse 23 of chapter 2. 23 says, I will say to not my people, you are my people. And he will say, you are my God. That time is happening. Now with this in mind, the object lesson that we're seeing in Hosea's family continues. Chapter 3 is an autobiographical account. Apparently Gomer, Hosea's wife, has left Hosea for other men at some point. And now in chapter 3, you see that the Lord tells him to go and love her even as an adulteress. Why? Even as the Lord loves the sons of Israel, though they have turned to other gods, is what he says. So in verse 1 of chapter 3, it turns out that Hosea actually has to buy her back. He has to buy her back. He pays the going price for a female slave. In the New Testament, this is called redemption. You ever heard that word? This is what God will do for Israel. Buy her back. We know from the New Testament, this is what God has done for us as well. He has, while we were yet sinners, died for us. While we were slaves to sin, while we were in rebellion, God bought us out of the slave market of sin. That's literally the meaning of the, the word that we have translated redemption. When this nation of Israel is cheating on God, he has a plan to buy them back. And someday, verse 5 of chapter 3, the sons of Israel will return and seek the Lord their God and David their king, and they will come trembling to the Lord and to his goodness in the last days. Again, that's something I take literally as a future occurrence. 
God is visibly demonstrating here this problem as well as their future through Hosea's family. His broken family. The children and their names, Gomer's adultery and abandonment and Hosea's redemption of her. If you think about this, as I said, from his perspective, Hosea sacrificed greatly in obedience to God. Through the end of uh, or the, the second half of the book, chapter 4 through 14, um, focuses on Israel, particularly their unfaithfulness, and then on the flip side of that is God's faithfulness. And there's, there's things we could look at here, things to be said, but basically the message that they heard from Hosea was not a message they had never heard before, this had been coming to them time and time again. They had committed spiritual adultery, leading to multitudes of sins, and judgment was sure by this time. They had hardened their hearts, not repenting. And one wonders if perhaps, getting behind on my slides, they had hardened their hearts, but were there some in Israel who heard this message of Hosea right before Assyria comes and conquers, they saw the demonstration of his family, the sacrifice that he made, and repented. Were there any? And of course, the message continues. Who heard and changed direction throughout the years since Hosea in our times? There's, there's many, many speeches in this latter part of the book, and we're not going to get into any of them, except we'll look a little bit at the last chapter. You can turn to chapter 14. These speeches may have been recorded over, over decades as, as Hosea ministered to the northern nation there. Well, look at 14. We've seen glimpses of it all along. We actually we looked at it in chapter 2 and 3 toward the beginning, but 14 gives hope, restoration, and blessing when they finally do turn back. Actually, this is pretty typical for prophecy We've seen that, we'll see more of it, but the prophet's message usually includes some hope, some restoration and blessing, maybe toward the end of the book or, or laced throughout. Someday, and again, this is something I see personally as a future happening, they will turn to him, he will exalt them, they will finally be loyal to him as their God. Look at verse verses 1 through 5 of chapter 14 for just a minute. Let me just read that quickly. Israel, Israel return. Uh, excuse me. Let's see. Verses 1, one through 4. 1 through 5 of 14. Israel, return to Yahweh your God, for you have stumbled in your sin. Take words of repentance with you and return to the Lord. Say to him, forgive all our sin and accept what is good so that we may repay you with praise from our lips. Assyria will not save us, we will not ride on horses, and we will no longer proclaim our gods to the work of our hands, for the fatherless receives compassion in you. I will heal their apostasy, I will freely love them, for my anger will have turned from him. I will be like the dew to Israel, he will blossom like the lily and take root like the cedars of Lebanon. And it goes on there, of course, but what are you seeing in that passage? I know you haven't been looking at it very long, but... First of all, I believe this is in regard to Israel. That's my take on that. It's specific 
to them and they have specific sins. They have specific disciplines. They have a specific future in that covenant relationship. But I also believe that we can see a lesson here that aligns with the whole of the Bible communicating to us, applying to us this morning. If you're a Christian, take a minute and look at this. First of all, I think there's advice from God. Verses 1 and 2. Now you might say most of the book is wisdom. It's warning. It's advice. Here it says, you have stumbled because of your iniquity. Return to the Lord your God. And then the first part of verse 2. Take words with you and return. Now Israel was pretty bad, but you know what Isaiah says in chapter 53? You've heard this. We all went astray like sheep. We all have turned to our own way and the Lord has punished Him, Jesus, for the iniquity of us all. Someone shared a video with me a, a, a few weeks ago about a sheep and a shepherd as compared to that sheep-shepherd metaphor in Scripture, Christ as the Good Shepherd. And in this case, the, the thing that struck me, the videographer caught a lone sheep deliberately wandering off from the flock, away from safety, from food, care, from water. Now the cameraman, he's behind this sort of hill right here, and you have the dumb sheep aimlessly prancing off through the field. Then it would stop. The sheep would stop and look, around, look behind him, back where he came from, and then he would run off through the fields and the trees as if he had finally reached his destiny. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. That, I think, is what Isaiah is talking about. What that sheep didn't know is that there was a good chance he would turn into some wolf's dinner tonight. When we have gone astray, in big or little ways, God often warns us. Maybe that comes through a friend. Maybe that comes through the Word. Maybe that comes through discipline, trial. He puts stuff in our path to redirect us as a dumb sheep. So don't ignore that advice from God. Don't ignore that wisdom given in mercy and love. Verse 2, we just, we just read it. It says, take words with you, return to the Lord. I think in verse 2, we're seeing confession. Verbal confession, I sinned, I've done wrong. We're seeing a need for admitting sin, admitting that we need forgiveness. It says, forgive our iniquity, the advice of God here. Forgive our iniquity, receive us graciously. Proverbs 28 says, the one who conceals his sin will not prosper, but whoever confesses and renounces them will find mercy. Confession. But I think you're also seeing in this, this short passage here, repentance. You're seeing a need for repentance. This is the advice of God. The word there in, in that Proverbs that I just read, whoever confesses and renounces them, that word renounces has something to do with abandonment. Repentance is different than confession. Repentance has to do with changing your mind about something. 
changing your very worldview. I've changed what I think. I don't think that anymore. Eugene Peterson has this to say to us. He's a theologian, but it doesn't have anything to do with that. He says this, A few years ago, I was in my backyard with my lawnmower tipped on its side. I was trying to get the blade off so I could sharpen it. I had my biggest wrench attached to the nut, but it wouldn't budge. I got a four-foot length of pipe and slipped it over the wrench handle to give me leverage, and I leaned on that, still unsuccessfully. Next, I took a large rock and banged on the pipe. By this time, I was beginning to get emotionally involved with my lawnmower. Maybe you've been there, I don't know. And then my neighbor walked over and said he had a lawnmower like mine once, and that if he remembered correctly, the threads on the bolt went the other way. I reversed my exertions, and sure enough, the nut turned easily. Notice he was saved from frustration and failure by a warning, by advice. And then he had to turn around. He had to change his mind. He had to turn the nut the opposite direction. That's something like repentance. Repentance. You see it there in verse 3. God gives advice to repent. He says, you should say this to me. We will not ride on horses. In other words, we won't rely on the power of horses and military might for our salvation. And we will no longer proclaim our gods to the work of our hands. And then even the last line, for the fatherless receives compassion in you. I think you're seeing repentance. Again, the advice of God that they change their mind about their direction, that they reverse the way that they're headed. Notice after repentance that there is success. The lawnmower blade was loosened. God says in verse 4, 14, I will heal. I will love. My anger has turned away. And, and he goes on basically the rest of the chapter. So I think, my friends, that there is a need for confession of sin in our lives. I know we're saved. If you're a Christian, you're saved. Forgiveness is there. You're headed to heaven. James says to the Christians, confess your sins to one another and you'll be healed. Confession verbally at times. Sometimes these are obvious things in our life that we know of. Sometimes they're not so obvious. We need introspection. And following that then is repentance. Maybe that takes some help. Maybe that takes some, some friends, some counsel. Changing your mind about that thing, about that direction, reversing and moving in another way. That is not easy for us to do. Even as John spoke, I don't know about you, if my wife gives me some advice, sometimes it's a little hard to change directions. I don't want to change directions. I'm doing fine, but no, I'm not. Change directions. That's real repentance. And I think when there is confession and there is real giving up on that obstinacy, repentance, we can find wholeness in our relationship with God that we would not find otherwise. I think Hosea can help us a little bit here. Teach us to be willing to take advice, to take warning, to take wisdom. 
to be introspective, to confess, and then to turn, to change our mind, to advance in that opposite direction and to find healing. God, thank you for this just short lesson that we see here in Hosea. I'm just grateful for that. I pray, God, that you'd give us, you'd come alongside. I know your mercy is there and you do come alongside. As we walk through these short steps, we, we see the warning. We verbally confess and we change direction. We purposefully change direction in repentance. Thank you for your healing that will come at that time. Give us grace to do that, Lord, as we want to grow in you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.